On this episode, we discuss After Earth, about a planet destroyed by the power of nepotism. Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. That was Dan McCoy, and I'm Stuart Wellington. And that was Stuart Wellington and Dan McCoy, and I'm Elliot Kalin. And that was Stuart Wellington and Elliot Kalin and Dan McCoy, and I'm Dan McCoy. Well, good night, everybody. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> this was the, the Flophouse. Flophouse Podcast. The Flophouse. I was a little late on that one. Yeah. So, Dan, what do we do on the Flophouse? Uh, it's a podcast. Okay. Uh, yeah, so what do we do on you it? Like, Let's do it. Thanks for establishing what we already know, dumb shit. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was totally uncalled for. Wow. Dan, what do we do on the Flophouse? Dumb shit. <laughs> we watch a bad movie uh, that happens prior to the taping. Yes. And during the taping, the part that you're listening to now, we discuss that bad movie. So they're listening to something we taped at a distant past, but they're <laughs> yeah. listening to it now. Yeah, Much like the light from a star. After Earth. What? After uh, Earth? Is that, that sounds like the title of the movie we watched. Oh, mm-hmm. boy. That's because it is. <laughs> well, oh, boy, indeed. We watched the movie called After <laughs> We watched a movie called Afterbirth. <laughs> Story of a placenta. In a way. to make it in the big city. <laughs> As a dancer. <laughs> it's called, it was disgusting. <laughs> it's called Babe 2 Placenta in the Big City. It just lays there. It lays there on the stage. Hey, quit your crying, kid. You want to grow up? Is that the, the bulldog that, yeah, that befriends the, him? <laughs> the cigar-smoking bulldog that befriends the, the fetus. Yeah. It's not a fetus, it's, not it's a, a fe- placenta. Oh, now that's terrible. They're very story. different. Sure. This is just the, the, you know, the refuse. I don't know how you got on, for, on, on the list of top ten OBGYNs in the country with that kind of mistaken knowledge. Exactly. So, Dan, After Earth was the movie we watched, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is uh, an M. Night Shyamalan joint. Oh, man, number three. We were discussing. We've watched, this is the third movie we watched that was directed by him. And we've also watched one produced by him. So yeah. it's Elevator. Like, Elevator. Elevator. So it's like... Elevator. Delaware? <laughs> Evil Lift. So it's like we watched uh, three and a half M. Night Shyamalan movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's a terrible sitcom. <laughs> sure. Three and a half. M. Night, yeah. Yeah. Stars uh, M. Night Shyamalan, another M. Night Shyamalan. He wasn't in this one. Another M. Night Shyamalan, and then half of an M. Night Wait, Shyamalan. <laughs> so he, M. Night Shyamalan's in most of his movies, right? I don't know about that. In most of, he's in most he's of them. He's not in The Happening. He isn't? He's, he's not in The Sixth Sense. He, wait. He's got to be in The Sixth Sense. I think sense. he is in The Sixth Sense, but I can't remember. He's is a he, real Alfred in, Hitchcock. Is he in Unbreakable? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Let me. I'm He's gonna look in. it up. He's the doctor that like explains to her that her oh. kid's fucking bones are made of glass there's, or some shit. There's no way to or explains to unbreakable that he's unbreakable. No, I think he's the. It's the other way around. He's like the All doctor right. in the beginning. Hold on. Actor filmography. He was in the happening. Okay. He was in Lady in the Water. He was in the village. He was in science. He was in Unbreakable. He was in the Sixth Sense. Oh, who was he in the Sixth Sense? He uh, was the Ursa, a <laughs> alien that tracks people by fear. No, smells. that's in it after. It was Doctor Hill. Jonah Hill. Everyone's favorite character from that movie, <laughs> Dr. Hill. We can all remember his catchphrase, hey, there's a bunch of spook, spook-em-ups around here. <laughs> his catchphrase, who ordered the ghosts? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so after Earth, so it's, but it wasn't advertised as a directed by M. Shyamalan movie. It was advertised no, as... they've caught on that that's box office poison. <laughs> they, it was advertised as a Will Smith, Jaden Smith box office smash. A uh, tentpole mm-hmm. film much like The Pursuit of Happiness, mm-hmm. except with more spaceships and mumbly language in a future accent that's hard to understand at yeah. times. Mm-hmm. But with a proper spelling of happiness. And uh, you probably saw trailers for this along with trailers to Oblivion. They are not the same movie. No. Yeah. Even though they look very similar. I get the feeling that I would enjoy Oblivion more. They're also not the same as Elysium, even though those trailers mm-hmm. look kind of similar. Yeah, it's got a robot suit, I think. And the costumes are not the same as Game of Thrones, even though they look very similar. Yeah, there's a lot of doublets. A lot of slashed leather doublets. <laughs> leather doublets. Uh, Stuart, Timeless. Were you, Stuart, were you going to open a new clothing line that's yes. mostly leather doublets? Stuart slash leather doublets. <laughs> You've heard of slash fiction. Now you want something that isn't a story. <laughs> it's a piece of clothing. Stuart slash leather That's a pretty long slogan. Kind of clunky tagline. How about like, the, you've heard of slash fiction, these are the real thing. No, sure. that, that doesn't make sense though. Well, that they're real. How about, you, how about this? 
Doublets, doublets, doublets. <laughs> <laughs> Why settle for just one when you could double it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, Stuart Wellington slash Leather Doublets, soon uh-huh. to be in a gaming or cosplay <laughs> store near you. Uh, in case you want to dress up like a caveman in the year 1000, <laughs> year 1500 BC, which is not when cavemen were around, sure. or a spaceman in the year yeah, 4000 AD. You want to look like a Star Trek guy on the set of uh, next year's Game of Thrones spinoff? Yep. What's next year's Game of Thrones? It's called oh, no, Star Trek of Thrones. <laughs> yep. uh, it's a prequel. So let's talk about it. This movie is set in the future after Earth. Yeah. Uh, we open with a an explosion on a spaceship. Will Smith and Jaden Smith are in trouble. Jaden Smith is lying hurt in a forest somewhere. And I was like, you know what? This jumped into the action really fast. Like, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. Then the voiceover they started. Like a slap in the face. <laughs> like being hit with a wet fish. <laughs> And uh, it's not just any voiceover, it's Jaden Smith doing a voiceover in this, like, mumbly patois future language they use. And now it's very, I want us to try to establish some ground rules because Jaden Smith is a teenager. Mm-hmm. Sure. He's a kid, he's a minor, let's not hit him too hard, but let's just say off the top of the bat, he is totally without charisma or chops. I refuse and... <laughs> to play by your rules. <laughs> I just feel like we should be fair to someone who is not a legal adult. Well, all right. what, oh, I'm, like when I make fun of him for his uh, inability to pronounce words in this movie, it's not yeah. his fault. It's the director's choice or whoever's I, choice I to make it. The, is. The I think it is. I think it's some kind of future accent. It was accent. hard to tell. Like everyone had like this weird future patois like that we couldn't Let's understand. Let's just say one thing. It was mumbly. It was not patois. Okay. No. A patois to me involves like a pidgin language of some kind. Mm-hmm. They were not using made up words. They were just pronouncing things. They were just pronouncing wrong. things as if they were from like a weird part of Baltimore or Philadelphia. Yeah, where people where they just with stuff in their mouth. <laughs> yeah, where everyone has gravel in their mouths and they drop a lot of letters from their from their pronunciations. Yeah, but I couldn't. T- I I honestly could not tell a lot of the time whether it was the director's fault or whether Jaden Smith as an inexperienced actor. Just wasn't articulating as well as he should. I mean, well, it's, an, it's, a, it's an interesting yeah. accent that, as soon as he, uh, the characters become really emotional, they just forget about the accent entirely. <laughs> uh, it's something I call Keanu Reeves syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> he could be he could be from the South in a movie. He could be English. As soon as something big happens, he just sounds like a California surfer dude. <laughs> okay, so After Earth, should we say talk about the plot briefly? Yeah. There's not a lot of story in the movie, but there's enough. So. In voiceover, it's explained to us that environmental cataclysm, as Wikipedia describes it, uh, has made the Earth uninhabitable, and humans have gone off and colonized space, especially a new world called Nova Prime. All stuff we don't really need to know, we could have assumed. Wait, there's there's even more we need to know. (laughs) We don't need to know. Uh, A thousand years after that, the United Ranger Corps, which is basically just a bunch of soldiers, you know, it's like the army, uh, led by, I guess, Will Smith's character, General Cypher Rage. (laughs) That's That's right. That's an awesome name. His first name is Cypher, and his last name is Rage. Now, Rage is spelled slightly differently. It has an I in it. Yeah. But otherwise, his name still sounds ridiculous. It sounds like like a 14-year-old's idea for what his stage name is going to be when his metal band... It's something... When his metal band Bone Sex (laughs) takes off. It's like M. Night Shyamalan was sifting through George Lucas's trash can (laughs) and found the name name Sifo Diaz and was like, "Uh, this isn't dumb enough. Let's make it Cypher Rage. Yeah. Cypher Rage does sound like a Terminator knockoff that you would have seen yep. like in your video store in like 1996. <laughs> He's the hard-boiled space detective who hunts down Elan's Lee's Bago or and, whatever. And everyone has like little pieces of metal glued to their face. <laughs> yeah. Cypher Rage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone lives on the internet somehow. But anyway, there's aliens who attack humans. Yeah. And to do this, they breed a monster called an Ursa, which is a blind you know, basically kind of cat monster thing. Yeah, it's like deal-y. a, I don't know, it looks like uh but It's, it's, not, like a, one it's of the, not a bear, right? It's not a bear. It looks, if anything, it looks like the kind of animals that were in Wayne Barlow's book Expedition, if anyone's yeah, seen that. They got seen a bit that of, it's got a bit of a, I don't know, like the bugs from Starship Troopers look to it a bit. Yeah, maybe. but there's a little bit of like the monsters from Cowboys <laughs> and Aliens. It's sure. like a big, bald, naked mole rat that's mm-hmm. huge and it's got big teeth and no eyes and like, spikes that it impales yeah, sharp, people with crabby hands. and it loves to impale people on tree branches mm-hmm. like that's its M- that's its serial killer mo yeah is that it impales people on it tree look, branches it looks kind of like a, like a an attempt to be a scarier version of the of one of the monsters from i think it's uh spirited away okay the, the thing with all the arms and like a big fat body i guess so it looks yeah yeah i can see that it lo- it's like a pretty low rent imitation of like a guillermo del toro monster yeah in but some the ways. point is 
It's or like a bad, if it's like a bad Guy Davis design for BPRD, where Guy Davis would be like, "And eh, this isn't so good," and throw it away. It doesn't matter so much what it looks like, but what matters is what it does, which is it senses fear. It senses fear by smelling fear pheromones that are emitted mm, by people when they see this hella monster coming towards them. <laughs> uh, and so Cipher has learned how to and taught the Rangers to suppress their fear pheromones because mm-hmm. as he says danger is real but fear is a choice and so the monster can't smell them and it is invisible to the monster yeah. this is called ghosting <laughs> <laughs> it seems there's a ghost in the machine and the what ghost name is cypher rage <laughs> now wait a minute so if it uh so how does it like go around the woods and stuff does yeah, it smell the fear it... <laughs> of the trees <laughs> yeah it just bumps into shit all the time yeah, well, because <laughs> it and it does like things well, to make one, people okay. freaked out by like taking people it kills and sticks their dead bodies on trees. Yeah, I don't. It that's look, called the Ursa signature. It has a tree sense. <laughs> it has a tree sense. Yeah, there is a part where they're seeing if this Ursa is around, and there's a computer that uh, detects whether the Ursa signature is is located. And it basically just means: Are there any dead things stuck on trees? <laughs> if so, then yes, it's an Ursa. <laughs> But uh, Jaden Smith plays Cypher's son named Katai, Katai Rage, who is in <laughs> Ranger Cadet School and is the fastest runner of the group, as we mm-hmm. learn in his opening scene. But unfortunately, he's good in exercises, but in the field, he falls apart. He still feels fear, and he is not promoted to Ranger Cadet. Which seems to be like the key skill you need to be a Ranger, right? Because it's the you only gotta, way to ghost. You gotta ghost around, man. Yeah, come yeah. on. So the movie Ghost was about <laughs> not being able to be seen by an Ursa. It's about how Patrick Swayze, uh, yeah, could go around and tell that evil uh, that evil guy in the subway played by uh, what's his face Schiavelli. Yeah, <laughs> Schiavelli uh, ruined his uh, career as a ghoster by teaching him how to kick cans around. <laughs> yep, and I'm- the only thing that could stop Ursas was. Pottery-based romance. Yeah. Speaking of kicking cans, our hero throws a lot of tantrums in this movie. He certainly does. It's, there's, it feels like every other scene has Jaden Smith smashing something or getting mad and crying or and complaining about shouting to the skies. Ranger, yeah, I should be a ranger. Anyway, his dad is coming home for the first time in years. His uh, dad, Cypher Rage. Cypher Rage, who's like a hero to everybody. And he has to break the news to him that he didn't make it to ranger school. Cypher Rage goes... I get they have an argument like dads and sons do o- over dinner, so they they made it kind of realistic. Yeah, where they're home. eating with their three pronged space chopsticks because <laughs> uh, it's the future. <laughs> and now here's the, the interesting thing: so much more work seems to be put into the design of this movie than anything else. And they live in this future that's very like white mm. and organic and it's made, all made out, out of, of linen. I made out of flowing linen <laughs> <Yeah>. sheets <laughs> and bamboo. It's this weirdly like. Hippie-ish future. It's not organic enough for it to be like a Cronenberg future. No, it's yeah. not like they're living in the guts of, a, of a giant building animal. <laughs> also, like, they don't like grow guns made out of pulsing organs or anything. But if they did, but it's all very soft. Races, it feels soft. like this is what this. If like if women ruled the world, mm-hmm. maybe this is what the future would look like. No Bed, hard edges. If, if Bed Bath and Beyond invented a future, well, yeah, that, that's mainly it too. It's a future where that where they chose they had a scented soap and they said, "How do we design an entire civilization around this?" But also, as I said during the movie, like I feel like in a lot of futures, like I guess in the future, people don't have stuff anymore because everything yeah. is so like empty. Like Everyone's people's into apartments are minimal like, living. Yeah. You know? It's the it's the small living movement. Yeah, they're all Buddhists. That thing about owning a hundred objects and keeping it that way—that's mm-hmm. the law in the what? future of After Earth. What a dystopian horror! It's that a dystopian is. future where people are not allowed to own too much stuff. <laughs> Can one of them be a double-ended blade staff? It has to be because that's the only way you're going to fight an Ursa. Because guns apparently don't exist anymore. Yeah. Sure, which Since would be we never would see wa- one ever. You would totally want a gun because then you could be way far away. It yeah, couldn't smell your smell fear, fear, and you could fucking blast it. Yeah, come on, just shoot it up anyway. Like a, sp- like it like a missile space, launcher. It's <laughs> the only way to be sure. So anyway, Cipher and Katai have a fight, and Cipher tells his wife, "I'm going to retire after this next mission, where I'm going to some planet somewhere to deliver a big thing." And He's, and she says, your son needs a father, so he agrees to take his son Katai with him on this mission. Doesn't he have plenty of time after he retires to spend time with his stupid son? You'd think so, but apparently they need to do it right now. Yeah. Uh, so they go on this mission, and Katai is a total crybaby wuss. Mm-hmm. Everything makes him upset, whether it's sitting in a chair or walking up to a big asteroid egg where there's an Ursa inside well, of it. Yeah. yeah, he walks into this area. Like, 
He walks into this area that has a big sign that says hazardous area only, like, like uh, what is it? Rangers um, only, no Jaden Smiths allowed. <laughs> basically. And he's and, like, rules don't apply to me. <laughs> I'm the son of the star. Well, that's the thing. Like, I that, am the star. That's the point I made during the movie, which was just like, uh, yeah, sure, Jaden Smith, whatever, he's a kid, don't want to make too much fun of him, but you do have to make his character not seem like an entitled kid if if we know that Jaden Smith is the guy. Like, he's the son of the The son of Will star. Smith, yeah. huge movie star who's making this movie basically to propel Jaden Smith into stardom. Like, don't make him then like the kind of kid who's like, whatever, signs don't apply to me. I'm going in here, you know? like. So you're saying he already has strikes against him. Yeah. To get, like, if they just pick some random kid, like a real Jake Lloyd off the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, a future like- star like Jake Lloyd. <laughs> well, it's, it's the same way that, like, this is 40, which I didn't see, I gotta admit, because I had no interest in it. I feel like a lot of the criticism about it involved, like, this is just Judd Apatow and his family, we're just watching his family hanging out. Like, there was this extra level of entertainment the movie had to reach to justify, why are we watching a movie where Judd Apatow's just casting his kids in it? And this is the same way with After Earth. Like, yeah. Jaden Smith has to reach it up to a high enough level where we're like, oh, he does deserve mm-hmm. to have a movie built around him beyond the fact that his dad is Will Smith. And He's he the fails only guy who could pull this mission off. Yeah, I think. Wait, uh, who? Wait, Jade Smith. <laughs> what? What mission? The mission of being charismatic. Yeah, but apparently he couldn't. No. Uh, so anyway, Elliot digging into Jaden Smith already. Yeah. Chill out, bro. <laughs> Shoot on, those claws, kid. kitty. <laughs> What's Look, wrong he with smells you? fear and he attacks. I can be both. I'm going to give him some constructive criticism, Jaden. Sure. Get mm-hmm. more charismatic. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> you need to fo- focus your ability points in future experience games on, <laughs> on charisma, charisma stat. and not on dexterity, which you're very good at. Clearly, he outruns uh, CGI gorillas and Let's stuff. Let's give your this. classic shit sandwich, as Stewart described it. You're <laughs> very like good. Okay, you're in great shape, Jaden, and or... I believe that you were running around and being fast. You're not okay, that charismatic. Thank you. thank you for that for that comment, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're explain. not, you're not, <laughs> um, well, I think you need to express to us the likability that the other people who cast you in this see within you. I'm hearing the words you're saying, but you're not making me understand. You're kind I'm of a like, mealy mouth, petulant sort of person. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe like smile once during the movie or show us a moment of humor or playfulness. The same thing that has made your dad a billion dollar movie star. So I could make a couple of jokes, say things like, that wasn't cool, and you don't got it, dude, etc. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff, Shane. And now the other end of it, uh, you're a fine-looking boy, and you'll grow up to a handsome man. Thanks. Yeah. So plenty of butt shots of me in this movie, right? <laughs> oh, uh, that was the other thing is, it seemed like M. Night Shyamalan was being paid by the butt shot. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of shots from below. Which, by the way... <laughs> It's not directors that works. That's a bad deal. In certain movies, yeah. if you're making, if you're making a bikini car wash. That's a great way to be paid. Yeah, or you're making. If you're Tinto Brass, then yes, pay him by the butt shot. You're making the movie Cheeky, <laughs> which is about butts. Then yes, you'll be you'll make a lot off it. But if you're making an action adventure sci-fi film. <laughs> Wait, make- wait, wait. You can make an adventure sci-fi film that's also about butts, Elliot. <laughs> yeah, but it would be like it would be like a like a porn parody like Flesh Gordon or something like that. You can't make a serious science fiction movie that is about butts. Okay. Yeah. Unless it's called like Barbara. Like Butt Invasion or something and there's aliens sure. except that's basically just Dreamcatcher. Dream <laughs> Think about how much better that's that movie would have done. That's a sci-fi movie. <laughs> it was called, called butt, butt Invasion or Butt Invaders. <laughs> I mean, I, I certainly would have, like, my expectations would be where they should be, where, rather than me being like, oh, I'm seeing this this high-class adaptation of Stephen King. Oh, wait, hold on, it's about butt weasels. It's amazing that, that one man's adaptations can, I guess this is the way it is for many authors, but can encompass everything from The Shining to Dreamcatcher. <laughs> and be pretty, pretty accurate to the source material, to be yeah. honest with you. Uh, so anyway, they're on this spaceship. They go into an oh, asteroid shit. field. We haven't gotten to the crash yet. No, they're on. A, in, I'll go fast. They're in a spaceship. They go through an asteroid field, and Will Smith is like, "Let's avoid this asteroid field." And the guys, I the, couldn't understand what anybody was the saying. The co-pilots are. This is the mumbliest, lowest mixed part of the movie. He's saying, "Let's go through this. Let's not. Let's avoid this asteroid field." And the co-pilots are like, "We're cool." Asteroids hit the space shuttle. They mumble techno jargon to each other for like a thousand minutes. Mm-hmm. It's really it takes forever. So, short story short. Long story short, 
the spaceship crashes. Sh- short story long. <laughs> short story long. Uh, so the gift of the Magi is a tale. <laughs> I'll tell you over three hours. Let me explain first uh, the reference of the Magi. The Magi <laughs> were the three wise men who... Who visited the Christ child. Now, the Christ upon- child is... Now, there's a there's a, a Messiah character in many different... Uh, now, a child is a young version of a human, a youngling, you <laughs> well, might know them sure. as. Humans are the main bipedal ape simian de- de- descended inhabitants of Earth. Let me back Third up. The plan- Big Bang. <laughs> Nothing's bigger. Nothing's bangier than the Big Bang coming soon to a universe near you. And speaking so- of Big Bangs... The ship crashes. <laughs> the ship yep. crashes. Everyone on it seems to have been killed except for Jaden and Will. Uh, Will That's has convenient. Will mm-hmm. has had a bad arterial break to his leg, yeah. and he's spurting blood. They got to get out of there fast. Jaden has to get a. He has their beacon is broken. Their emergency beacon. He's got to get to the tail end of the ship, all the way like a mile away through jungle. Uh, to hundred kilometers. Uh, uh, is it a hundred kilometers? Yeah. Oh, okay, hundred kilometers away. He's got to access that beacon, but. They're on Earth in the future. Somehow the atmosphere has changed somehow that makes it harder for people to breathe. And he only has so many... It's either the atmosphere changed or just humans have evolved differently. Yeah. It's been a while, right? Hey, look, it's been a thousand years. People are not going to evolve away from breathing oxygen in a thousand years. Yeah, but if your body gets used to breathing at a slightly different type of, like, amount of yeah. of oxygen. Point point is, Jane Smith has these cookies that, like, basically, <laughs> they look like, uh, he has these like li- the pill boxes <laughs> that, like, birth control He has come these in. little discs that look like yeah. round homitation, where they look like, the, like old people cookies that have raspberry, like, gel on the top. Yeah. And he has to take yeah. one. He has Prune four. jam. He has <laughs> He drinks some, like, fucking magic liquid out of them that <laughs> he, makes him be able to breathe. He drinks breathing elixir uh, <laughs> yeah. out of them, and he only has four. He only and that's, has four. That's four days of grandma cookies. That means it's going to take him that much to get to where the beacon is. But, uh-oh, actually, some of them were broken. He doesn't have four. But he doesn't tell his dad that because he wants to go on this mission He's and prove kid, himself. Yeah. yeah. So his dad watches him through a magic backpack <laughs> <laughs> and communicates with him to give him advice. He takes his dad's collapsible double-pointed spear, you know, saber. Yeah. Um, so he's like a regular Ray Park Darth Maul with his double-edged <laughs> thingamabob weapon. Um, and right off the bat, he goes in and angers some baboons for no reason. His dad is yelling at him, stand down, and instead he throws a rock at a baboon. <laughs> he gets chased by them. Yeah, well, let's let's back up and say that... <laughs> What's to back up to? Well, no, we just point out that Jaden Smith's <laughs> Jaden journey... Jaden Smith is the son of Will Smith. Jaden Smith's... Megastar. Jaden Smith's journey in this movie is that he needs to learn to not feel fear. He needs to learn to grow up and not feel his fear. And we eventually yeah. learn that... Over time, we learn through flashbacks that there's some backstory to them. Yeah. That Will Smith had an older daughter, Jaden Smith's older sister, Katai's older sister. Mm-hmm. Cypher Rage had this daughter. And uh, she was killed because dad, Cypher, was away on a mission when an Ursa attacked their house. And she put Jaden— A regular she, home invasion. Into— she put Jaden into some kind of globe for growing plants, <laughs> and so that yeah. his pheromones wouldn't get out. She and put Ursa him under a dome. <laughs> she put him. It was like under the yes. dome. If the dome was big enough to hold one child, <laughs> and it protected you from Ursas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she was Which, killed, yes. presumably so under Cipher the dome. That dome protects her. So, so Cipher blames himself for his daughter being dead, and blames Jaden a little bit. Although, what was Jaden supposed to do? He's a little kid. Yeah. yeah. Like, is, a, a is a five or six-year-old supposed to fight off an Ursa? I don't think so. Yeah, he's yeah. going to ghost all over the place? I don't think so. <laughs> but more important, Jaden blames himself for his sister's death, and he needs to get over that and realize that yeah. he needs to, he, that's, that, that it was okay for him to feel fear then, but now he shouldn't or some stuff. So anyway, that's his, that's his arc, his life goal, mission. But that, that translates him to act, him acting erratic and crazy and like a coward for most of the movie. And it's one of those things where like teenagers <laughs> act really erratic and they get mad out of nowhere and stuff. If that was what they're playing up, I'd be like, this is pretty realistic. Like if I had been 15 and I was on a planet and I had to get somewhere, I'd probably act out and get mad and frustrated. But instead he just comes off as like, petulant and doing stupid shit like a baboon's right there why'd you throw a rock at him a hundred baboons come out and chase him he runs into a river he gets a leech on him that makes him all puffy he's gotta inject some magic medicine into him that takes away leech puffiness yeah. <laughs> and it turns out that uh the because of something that we did to the earth every night it gets freezing cold yeah. which doesn't square with the fact that he's in this lush kind of pacific northwest rainforest yeah, like temperate Forest land. With yeah. full of baboons and eagles and stuff. And uh, old growth trees. 
<laughs> so how is so how does it work? We don't know. Nobody did a lot of. I mean, we get one scene of like the plants curling up a little bit, but I don't night. think that. I w- the only that scene would have been a hundred times better if the plants had been like Looney Tunes plants, <laughs> like, and they'd be like, <laughs> exactly, and curling up there, like putting nightcaps on. Yeah. Good night, tree. Good night, fern. <laughs> like someone pulls a chain that turns the sun off. Yeah, sure. like one 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 plant pulls itself down and it wraps up like a like a shade on a window. Yeah, yeah, and there's like a mushroom that falls into a tree like a Murphy bed. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Mm. And then they all sing some song from the Warner Brothers song library yeah. that they're that they're trying to promote. You know, yeah. I only have eyes for you, or something like that. <laughs> I, I only have, have eyes for, for you. you. There yep. you go. That's, That's the song that Mister Freeze would sing. <laughs> that should have been in the movie we just watched, shouldn't it have yeah. been? That was Mister Freeze's first dance song at his wedding. Was I only have eyes for you? He's a romantic guy. Yeah, he, he's trying to unfreeze his wife. No, I know. I don't know why sure. he just doesn't stick Tragic her in a microwave. And he, and he liked ice buns even before because <laughs> of his name. Yeah. His name, Carl Freeze. <laughs> um. So yeah, that happened. Did anyone ever make a joke about a movie called "They Call Me Mister Freeze"? <laughs> well, now you did. Now they did. So it's been done. Anyway, uh, but. One night when he gets to a hot zone, which is one of the bullshit warm areas, the movie made ups that Jaden Smith doesn't freeze to death, mm-hmm. and he just runs to him yeah, at the night. Video game checkpoints. Yeah, uh, his son, his father tells him the story when he learned how to ghost, which was he was fighting an Ursa and they fall in, fell into a river, and he was about to drown, and he realized he shouldn't be scared, and he didn't, and he wow. won. You told that story much more <laughs> excitingly than Will Smith did in the movie we just watched. Most of that story is communicated. Do we get a flashback? No. Do we visualize any of this? No. We see Will Smith literally just kind of lackadaisically just sitting there in a monotone talking to the camera. Yeah. Just really slowly telling the story. And this is a moment to say that, like, Will Smith, one of the most charismatic movie stars ever. Of, of the, uh, yeah. I would say ever. Yeah. I would say you drop sucks. Will Smith into the 30s or the 40s, and he would have been just as successful. Like, incredibly yeah. charismatic, incredibly likable, talented. He's a double threat. He can dance. Sing, act, with yeah, his yeah. three. But he, he seems to have decided, like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. What I want to do is to not be any of those things. He's, he's, well, he's stretching by being serious here. Yeah. And he's playing kind of this martinet drill sergeant, you know, emotionless fellow who, he's shut himself off from fear, but does that mean he's also shut himself off from love? But also, I feel, Probably. Like, I feel like there are actors out there's, there. I mean, there's no love interest in this movie, right? There's his wife. He has a wife. For yeah, life. but she's on a different planet. And Jaden Smith has a love interest, a big vulture that saves him. <laughs> sure, his vulture buddy? <laughs> or it's a contour, I guess. Yeah. But there are actors out there. His vulture can, buddy Volturo, yeah. <laughs> there are actors who can be, like, tough and emotionless and still have a lot of charisma. And I feel Name like... Name one. Smith, Will Smith just doesn't seem to know Tommy how to Lee do Jones. that. Okay, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, Name exactly. two. <laughs> uh, uh, Josh Billy Bob Thornton. Okay, that's three. <laughs> uh, name four. Um, shit, I don't know. I guess you're right, Ellie. Like Clint Eastwood, maybe? Four. Okay, Clint Eastwood, too. Yeah, yeah, okay. That, you're right. A lot of people can do it. And Sw- Will Smith is playing against his strengths here and not yeah. in a way that helps him. And do you, think, do you think that was a conscious choice on his part so that he could give his son more of the spotlight? I think it was probably, but uh, I think so. Jaden is not picking up the slack. I think that's definitely why he took a passive role in the movie, where Will Smith <clears> spends <throat> most of the movie sitting down and talking to his son <laughs> through a camera. Well, uh, he's about to pass out from blood loss. That's the why, thing he, oh, why could they have not given his computer like a sassy voice <laughs> to add a little bit of levity to this voice, movie? Any voice. Uh, there's... So Will Smith also takes a drug that makes him drowsy to, because he's dying of blood loss. But it means that you have a movie in which the biggest star in the movie, Will Smith, seems – it's a boring movie and he can barely stay awake. Like the star of the movie is barely fighting enough to stay awake through his film, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so eventually he learns the truth that Katai doesn't have enough breath cookies to get to where he's going. He needs four. He needs three and a half and he only has two left. So he says abort the mission, abort. But he's – and Katai is on the top of a cliff, and they have an argument about, was I supposed to save my sister? I was just a kid and that kind of thing. You were never there for us. And mm, the wasting argument valuable breath cookies comes out of goes. nowhere, and he's, bra- he's wasting breath cookie time. And so he says, I'm going to finish the mission. The only way to do it, to jump down from this cliff instead of hiking down, mm-hmm. he can save himself one and a half breath cookies by the sky jump. Yeah, he's going to base jump with a, like a fucking – he's got like a, a – a Rocky the fly, Flying Squirrel suit on. Because his multi-suit, which he's wearing, is which is this magic 
leather suit that does whatever he needs and it changes color a bunch of times for seemingly no reason has camouflage it has flying squirrel to flaps. camouflage him from mm-hmm. the blind monster that see, smells fear <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so it should he should have a suit that releases a pheromone a distracted pheromone that makes perfect sense like like for a sexy lady Ursa <laughs> so the Ursa falls in love with him and wants like wants to bring him flowers and chocolates <laughs> puts on a hat and a bow tie yeah yawn puts it claw around his shoulder <laughs> oh fresh he keeps trying to sneak away and it keeps dragging him back again oh, another way this movie would have been better if it turned into a looney tune <laughs> if this movie instead of starring will smith and jaden smith had starred bugs bunny and like <laughs> be, like burt bunny his son it would have been way better burt bunny come on what's a, what's a better name for his son i don't know his dad's name is bugs you don't want to fight that <laughs> that's true bugs jr <laughs> bj bunny there you go bj bunny all right i think that that character probably exists. Well, that's right? PJ Funny Bunny exists. Uh, sure. Anyway, so he sky jumps down, but he's attacked, which just means floating through the air. He's attacked by a giant condor, which uh, Stuart made the point that this is ridiculous, that the kid who's using his sky suit for the first time is more maneuverable than the bird that was that evolved to fly <laughs> on this planet. Uh, but he gets caught. He gets caught and he wakes up in a nest full of little cute baby birds that's being attacked by saber-toothed tigers. <laughs> and he uses his double-edged spear to fight off the tigers too late. All the birds have been killed and the condor He's not grief-stricken. A <laughs> He's a baby condor person. I wish his line that would have been like, I'm really not a cat person. I'm allergic to cats. Allergic to death. <laughs> and then throws the cat overboard or something. Yeah, but the condor sheds condor tears over its fallen kids. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty he, sad. It's really sad. He goes to a cave. <clears throat> he sleeps next to a magma river. He sure. sees the Lascaux cave paintings <laughs> or some kind of mammoth cave paintings because those have been preserved excellently. And a flying snake. And a flying snake oh, that yeah. eats. Yeah. We, see, we see <laughs> no doesn't have other, any feathers. We see no <laughs> other remnants of Earth. And as Stuart points out, there's no reason why this movie had to take place why on Earth. Why does it have to be on Earth? You, you could the have crashed on after Earth. any fucking planet. Like It's like, oh, it's just a... It's just a planet that we that's it, a hot dog So they could do lazy animal design and just be like, Basically, let's take a snake, but make it flap around. We'll make a bird, but it's big. Here's a baboon, but it looks a little different. <laughs> it's baboon. got a bunch of buddies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, baboons only travel in packs of 10. These ones travel in packs of 20. That's how you know it's Earth in the future. <laughs> they should have called this Planet Fear yeah. and not have it Perfect. set on Earth. Perfect. Better yeah. title? Better planet. She called it Planet Terror. But you're right, by Robert Rodriguez. It's not like they used any actual animals in the movie. It's all CGI. It's all Even CGI. Even the baby condor monsters. Are CGI. <laughs> Every, I'm, I'm Jaden Smith might be CGI. <laughs> they used a real Ursa though. Oh, okay, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he gets out of there. He's running out of capsules. <laughs> he's plotting his course. He gets to a river. He builds a raft. He's like a regular Huckleberry Finn. He's mm-hmm. going down the river. He falls asleep and he has a dream of his sister. And his sister tells him. Practical special effects, though, right? And this is all practical special effects, by which we mean the the actress playing his sister is just sitting there. Yeah. And she tells him basically to, like, stop being mad and, like, get, stop being afraid. That kind of shit. Stop being such a puss. It's a real, (laughs) it's a real, like, Obi Wan just telling Luke to do this stuff moment. Uh, Except stupid. And you know it's a dream because it's not really a ghost. Except she's going, wake up, wake up, Katai, wake up. And he won't wake up. And then she turns it, she gives him a monster face for a moment. (laughs) Where she's got like a slash and blood on her face. And he wakes up and it's like... It's like like a PG rated Large Marge. I mean, Large Marge was rated PG. <laughs> really? I thought she was terrifying. <laughs> I watched. That I thought again. that was rated X for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sex. I watched. Uh, I watched that scene on YouTube recently again from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And when I was a kid, I couldn't watch it. Yeah. I covered my eyes every time, just knowing it was. Can I watch the movie all the time? I loved it, but just knowing it was coming, I was like. Gotta cover my eyes now. I don't want to see Large March. And I watched it again. It is the goofiest. <laughs> it's so goofy. Like, it's two claymation cartoon eyes and a big mouth. And you hear, like, <laughs> like, it's the silliest thing. And as a, but as a kid. That well, it's w- so surprising. It's, it's surprising. It's out but, of nowhere. but once you know it's coming. But as yeah. a kid, it was right up there with that one ghost in Ghostbusters who's driving a cab and looks oh, yeah. like a, a grosser skeleton. version of the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, he's like a decaying corpse. Those were the two things it's I was a kid. Crypt Keeper's brother. <laughs> <laughs> his less attractive, less yeah. charismatic brother. Yeah. He couldn't cut it in the pictures. Harold's Cri- Gary, Gary Crypt Keeper. <laughs> Gary 
<laughs> yeah, I drive a cab. Yeah, that's my brother who does the TV show and the comics and the movies. He's a real big shot in the family. Think he goes, he laugh, <laughs> whatever. Just because he comes up with puns. I can come up with puns. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it looks uh, like you lost your head. Ha, 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 ha. We're driving into a dead end. Yeah, forget whatever. about it. Okay, well, you going to tip me or what? <laughs> Thanks for nothing, pal. Taxi, taxi here. Who wants a taxi? Oh, did I forget to mention she's also riding a pedicab. Where are you going? Brooklyn, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not taking you to Brooklyn. Forget about it. I'm dead. I'm not stupid. Uh, I wouldn't be caught dead over there. Get it? Pun. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Voiced by uh, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. <laughs> Young Sylvester Stallone. Young Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Yep. Not John Cassier. In this case, Sylvester Stallone is voicing the brother of the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> the brother who doesn't have a TV show. Slumber. I don't know why he has someone voicing him. <laughs> well, they started with the brother and then they worked their way towards the I host. Got you. A lot of writers will do that when they're creating characters. They'll say, before I get started on my main character, what will help me shape him? Well, what's his brother like? <laughs> I think that's how uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote his main books. What's Bilbo's brother like? <laughs> Bilbo. What, what's Sal Baggins like? Glad you went with Bil- uh, Bilbo, Bilbo and not Dildo, the obvious <laughs> joke. Yeah, the, that, is, it, that is obvious. So obvious. Too obvious. Even as a kid, the first time I read The Hobbit, I made that joke to myself and laughed. That when I read, when I read Board of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings parody from the National Lampoon, and they called him Dildo, I said, really, you can do better than that. Come on. Uh. Okay, so Katai's ghost sister wakes him up. It's getting cold out. Oh, no, he can't escape it. It's freezing. He passes out from breath coldness or something. Yeah. Luckily. Covered in a sheen of frost. Get, which mm. was my, my favorite line Stuart had. Was, he saw him and he goes, oh, he's an old man now. Because <laughs> he has white frost in his hair. He had frosted tips. <laughs> the condor that turns out saves him, drags him to his nest, and then dies, covering him with his body. Because that's keep the him way warm. birds work. <laughs> if you do a bird yeah. a favor, yeah, when birds the bird... freeze to death, they stay dead, dude. Yeah. <laughs> if you do a bird a favor, get... he'll never forget, and he'll help you in you don't a, your thaw, You can't thaw out a dead bird and it just flies away. No, but the birds, birds have a real code of ethics. <laughs> yeah. If you do a bird a favor, they'll do you in return. But, and always remember this. Never ask a bird for a favor or accept a gift or offering, for then you will owe them, and they will come back for repayment when you least expect it. Sure. What you thought was your own baby is just a baby condor. <laughs> they stole my baby and replaced it with a condor. Now you touch that baby condor with some cold iron. <laughs> and he'll tell you his true name. That gives you power over him. Really, when a bird asks you for a favor, it's usually like, hey, can you hand me that vole? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Here you go, bird. Uh, our pact is over. Sure. <laughs> Your debt has been repaid. Can you put peanut butter in this pine cone any, and then got, put seed on it? Yeah, sure. You got any suet any, anywhere? <laughs> yeah, here you go. Thank you. Your eternal blood legacy <laughs> is now fulfilled. Uh, anyway, so... so- in any other movie, I feel like the hero, after being saved by this giant condor who gives its life for his, mm-hmm. the hero would do something to remember like that bird. Bury but the he, bird, he perhaps? He does nothing. He, <laughs> he walk, just walks he, away. He just shakes it a little bit. And he's like, oh, okay, whatever. He's like, he does it like he should have taken a feather or something. Or, or at least said thank you. Like, or he just shakes When they're like, flying away, he should look into the stars and the stars should form the face <laughs> of the condor. And then he's a single tear. <laughs> sure. But he, it's like he just shake, nudges it to be like, hey, buddy, time for school. Wake up. Yeah. Oh, you're dead? I guess I'll keep going then. And that, it doesn't even say thanks. Yeah. Again, not like, playing into Take like, a bite out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I will honor you, my winged friend, and your sacrifice. You'll live on like with me. It's hearth. The legend of the hearth, condor friend. Hearth. And ever shall man and condor be allies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have... <laughs> and that was how the mandor became one. <laughs> you have bought a pledge of friendship with your blood. Uh, so he goes out. He finds the tail end of the spaceship. He finds the beacon. But it's not working. There's some ionic sphere layer of dust bullshit, some bullshit. And the So he has to get to the top of a volcano to, for the beacon he to work. He's just like running by egg. magma. He's like running by... I don't know why his sneakers aren't melting, but he's fine. <laughs> and the egg that Ursa was in is broken. And we've already seen the other rangers who were on the spaceship who I guess survived and walked away and just left Will and Jaden Smith to die have been killed by the Ursa and impaled on trees. The Ursa's signature move. <laughs> sure. Now the Ursa. That's his finishing move. Now the Ursa follows Jaden up this volcano, which is not good because there's no trees there. What's the Ursa going to do? Carry the dead body back down, stick it on a tree? I yeah. guess so. And maybe Jayden, he'll bring his own tree. He's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. He could carry a tree. So the Earth, Ursa's chasing him. He's trying to get to the top. They so fight he has to lot. get to the top of a volcano to set off the beacon, right? Yes. But he's screwed because after he sets off the beacon, his condor buddy's already dead, so he can't leave when the volcano erupts. 
That doesn't seem to be a problem. The movie kind of ignores that. The bigger issue is that an Ursa is trying to kill him, and okay. he's still afraid, so the Ursa can smell him. And it's like, ah, oh no, an it's Ursa. It's like Naked Gun, the smell of fear. <laughs> uh, wasn't that Naked Gun two and a half? Yeah, I don't know. What was 33 and a third? Um, I think I think that was it. Didn't have a subtitle? Listeners write in and tell us what the subtitle is. <laughs> it was like Naked Gun, 33 and a third. The one with Anna Nicole Smith. I am being it. <laughs> um, so the, the at, last funny one of these. At the last minute, as they're fighting on a volcano, ash falling all around them, and I assume a tasteful reference to Schindler's List, yep. uh, suddenly Jaden remembers his father's words of advice and instantly is able to control his fear, and his pheromones, I guess, suck yeah. back into his pores? He's, yeah, they he's dissipate the shit out of things. He's just that. ghosting like crazy, and the Ursa's like, I can't see you, where are you? He doesn't talk, but he, you can see, tell he's trying <clears throat> to find Jaden, and Jaden's just slashing the crap out of him with his double-bladed super I, sword. Can I just take a moment to say, like, this is, this is what I hate the most about <laughs> this. What I maybe hate the most about this movie is, like, it's so clearly like, okay, we're going to make a movie where the theme is... Um, overcoming fear. fear. So we're going to make this... Because when you're a kid, you're afraid to everything. Yeah. yeah. And you, when you grow up, you learn to not be afraid right. of anything. Of anything, ever again. yeah. You learn that fear is the mind killer, fears the little death within us all. But we're going to do this in total oblivion. We're going to do this in the... You will let the fear pass through you. <laughs> you will go into it and look behind you and see that nothing is left, only you. Otherwise, you get stabbed with a gum jabar yeah. and you're totally toast. And it's like <laughs> the poison goes in and you're dead. You're double dog dead. <laughs> but we're going to do this... Unless you're the Maud Dib. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're going to do this in, in the most Maud obvious Deep? way. We're going to do this in the most obvious way by creating this creature that smells fear. But it's so, like, it only makes sense as a metaphor in a movie. Like, it's so illogical in real life. Like, the aliens created this monster that can smell fear but also doesn't have eyes, I guess. It's a or, total like, it design just, like, as a backup, it <laughs> or can ears. just, like, see where, the, where Jane Smith it's is. It's continuing yeah. the tradition of M. Night Shyamalan aliens having a very clear design weakness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like being allergic to water? Yes, and then dropping them on a planet that's covered in water. Yeah. Uh, well, Even but, the the very atmosphere should melt them to dust. To be fair, that was to be fair, that was an act of God. Yeah, and oh. God is, if nothing, illogical. I'm just saying, make it, make it, make your make metaphorical so. creatures a little less, a little more subtle. The real problem in, with the movie, I mean, aside from it being, well, let's just say he conquers his fear, he sets off the beacon, then he gets saved. Yeah, the end. everyone's happy. And and Jaden Smith gets his one of three or four joke lines where he goes, "I want to get, I want to do mom's job." At yeah. the end, Which anyway, we don't know what it is. And they go Any home. way you want, it, that's <laughs> the way you need. Right? That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they they win in the end, but uh, and he saves the day. But uh, the real flaw in this movie, aside from it being super boring and the lead actor not having much charisma, uh, certainly at this stage in his performing career to carry an entire movie and it being very unimaginative and things like that, is that they mentioned in the beginning a bunch of aliens made monsters to fight us, and those aliens. We never see them. They never show up. We never find out what happened in the war with them. Is that still going on? Like, what's happening? It's like it's like if you were doing a story about the atomic bomb, and it was like, by the way, uh, we were fighting Nazis in World War II, so we made an atomic bomb. Flash forward 60 years later, and you're like, wait, but what about what happened to the, yeah. the war you were just telling me about? And Is that still happening? And what's- before people write in to tell us, we saw on Wikipedia that this was supposed to be the first of a trilogy. We understand that maybe that would be developed later, but... Each movie has to stand on its own. You can't you take can't it for granted it. that this one mention of something is going to be yeah. okay. And it's not like a Star Wars mention where in the first movie they'll mention <laughs> stuff. Well, like in the first movie, I'm just I'm laughing at Dan's defense already. <laughs> I'm sick. Of, I'm sick of you people. <laughs> this is not a time code situation. Was that what that movie was called? In uh, in, time? in time in time situation. Time, time code was the <laughs> is uh, that four quadrant movie? Yeah. Right? No, it's not li- like yeah, in, it appealed to all four quadrants. <laughs> <laughs> people like looking at four screens at once. Young people, old people, uh, people who like horny people, bullshit art movies that don't work. Um, you get to decide people. what story to follow. No, you do that. Make the movie for me. <laughs> the uh, I actually saw it. I did uh, Mike Figgis. I didn't. I, I liked it. Okay. Yeah, Figgis um, pudding. They call him. <laughs> but uh, here in Star Wars, they say, "Oh, my dad fought in the Clone Wars," and you don't need to know more about it. It's just like backstory. Here, I think they might have been going for some of that here in a way that, like, you're hinting at a wider universe that exists around the story. But it's such a major thing that humans are at a, in a war with aliens. To never have it have much to do with the rest of the movie is – unless, like, they're bringing this Ursa egg somewhere and I don't obvi- – I, clearly I missed what the mission was. Are they delivering it somewhere so they can discover a way to – kill ursas like yeah the first 20 spears seem to do it pretty well 
first 20 minutes of the movie, I don't, I couldn't understand anything anybody said. Yeah, the, the, the weird, like, like if you're accent gonna have, was a and the mumbling. If you're going to have a ass. crazy mumbling accent, don't have a bunch of loud beeps going off <laughs> from your weird organic computer console. <laughs> yeah. and uh, uh, But there's, I have to admit that there are a few scenes that are well-directed in this from a, like, well, camera viewpoint point of view. Let's move on to final judgments about whether this was a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of liked. Elliot, you're already there. What okay, you it's a bad, bad movie. <laughs> Uh, there's a couple moments where there are camera moves that I like a lot, where but literally like two or three of those where there's like just some neat uses of the camera. But otherwise, it's just a lot of watching Jaden Smith, usually from a butt-focused point of view, <laughs> mm-hmm. like crawling through jungle, <laughs> getting focused. mad at things and fighting animals that don't look real and not overcoming fear and his dad, meanwhile, sitting in a spaceship 100 kilometers away, just kind of talking in a monotone to nobody. Yeah. It really doesn't, it doesn't, I can see how this could be a really good movie, but there's no sense of life to it. Yeah, I'm going to say bad, bad movie. I'll just say boring <laughs> and mumbly. <laughs> the old B&M combo. <laughs> Stuart, what do you have to say? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bad, bad movie for the B&M uh, reasons alone. Uh, I mean, it, it, Kind of feels like structure-wise, it's kind of like the gray, but uh, it doesn't have the impact of Liam Neeson fighting wolves. If you told me that there was a movie about a plane crash where a bunch of guys are being picked off by wolves, and there's a movie about a spaceship crash where a kid has to prove himself courageous by fighting a a monster alien, like, I'd want to see the second one more, but the first one is marginally better. I didn't love the gray. I found it kind of boring, too. But, uh... Yeah, I, mean, like they I, I think it it's a design flaw in uh, this type of movie. <laughs> but they pull it off a lot. But there are good movies where people are at risk from the elements and there's like an animal or something chasing them. You know, you can do that movie. <laughs> animal, a bounty hunter. <laughs> so anyway, it's the old, maybe it's Tashira Mifuni and Hell in the Pacific. <laughs> sure. They're like, there's, it's a very simple story. And so it sucks when you see it screwed up this badly, you know. Um. So let's move on. How were those final judgments, Dan? Perfect. Satisfactory. How do you judge? Yeah. Fi- this is the new segment: final judgments, judgments. Uh, you get a ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. Well, okay. No, no. It's were those good judgments? Were they bad judgments? Were they judgments you kind of disagree with, Dan? Good judgments. Uh, room for improvement. <laughs> um, a plus all around. All right. So <laughs> extra credit for let's being move awesome. On quickly, I want to say this uh, podcast. I believe is going to come out on the thirtieth. So there's not a lot of time, but I just want to reiterate. Happy Thanksgiving. I want to reiterate <laughs> that the uh, Happy Hanukkah House Cat music video contest. You got two uh, more days. Last day is December oh, the first. Two, one day. What time are you accepting them by on December the first? I don't know. Like I'm, evening. I'm not really gonna be much of a like whatever. Just but, get them in. But you're a stickler. They got to be in by I'm December. I'm not gonna 1st. be a stickler. <laughs> by December first. But December first. By midnight, December 2nd, those videos better be in, or you are shit out of luck. Rural. <laughs> Thanks, House Cat. Um, so let's House qui- Cop. <laughs> let's quickly go through a, a few letters. Just a few letters, not a lot of time for a lot of letters. Do it fast, but make it last. Letters for us, letters from you. Letters from all for a little bit of time, not a lot. Let's do it quickly, just a quickie. Some letters real quick, Dan. Uh, this letter is from Trevor, last name withheld. It's titled, Five Easy Pieces, Cinematic Geographical <laughs> Epiphany. Dear Floppers, I've started listening to your podcast after the gently honorable internet judge John Hodgman recommended it so highly. I <laughs> When he to, said I mean, don't listen to it? <laughs> no, it was very positive. Oh, that was Come nice on. of him. He's a good guy. I, I wanted to share a moment of cinematic geographical epiphany with you and inquire if you've ever had a similar experience. I first saw what I have uh, thought of as a masterpiece of 70s drama, Five Easy Pieces, around 1988 as a scratched-up VHS rental. Uh, and completely loved it. I'm old. As I've grown older and frailer, subsequent viewings <laughs> have only enriched it for me. The movie has become too too intense, and I worry my bones will break if I watch it. <laughs> Watching the movie a few months ago, I realized, like seeing something for the first time, uh, that the movie uh, begins in Bakersfield, California. The scene where Jack Nicholson plays the piano on the back of the moving truck was filmed on or near the I-5, the least pleasant st- stretch of interstate anywhere in the U.S., mm. and the closest thing to a ro- Road Warrior theme park one will ever experience. Unless you go to that Doomsday Con or whatever that is that people do. It's Wait. hard. It's what? Burning Man? No. It's <laughs> no, hard to. <laughs> That's Wicker Man Con. It's hard to explain this if you're unfamiliar with these terrible places as I and many Californians are. are what? I don't 
probably. Uh, it's like realizing Casablanca <laughs> takes place in, I don't know, the East Coast equivalent of Bakersfield. Do you have a post-apocalyptic hellscape of sunglassed strip malls and trailer parks populated by hyper-conservative meth addicts who live on disability and condemn the government? I'm sorry, beloved Bakersfield friends, but you know it's true. Uh, it blew my mind, and yet only made me appreciate the movie even more, as it's grounded in a pedestrian reality I've seen and touched and smelled so many times. Genius. Have all, some, or none of you had a similar experience, and would you move to Bakersfield? Trevor, last name without... Well, I mean, obviously not. Never fucking tourist that. board of Bakersfield? <laughs> Welcome to Bakersfield. It sucks. <laughs> move here and make it better. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so, well, thanks for thanks those for, kind words. Thanks for writing in, Trevor, about your Bakersfield experience. I've never been there. I will say that uh, I've had experiences, certainly, where I've watched a movie and it's felt like or reminded me of places I've been. Like Midnight in Paris, the recent Woody Allen movie, a lot of it was shot at places I had been not too long before when I took my first trip to Paris. So it felt like Woody Allen had been stalking me and my wife on our vacation, which was a little weird. But uh, one that hits me a lot when I see it is the movie The Landlord, which I really love and is set in the neighborhood I live in, Park Slope, uh, and was shot there on location in the late 60s. And, uh, like, I've walked by the house that it's that it was shot at many times. But what really hit me was when I saw, in the background of a shot, a sign for Coca-Cola that up until very recently, about a year or two ago, was still on the front of a pizzeria uh, in Park Slope. And so seeing it, it really drove home to me, like, I know exactly what block they're on right now. Like, I know exactly that corner. Uh, and it really hit hard, you know? Uh, the, like... This is kind of a similar Bakersfield hellscape. Uh, I I remember um, my wife, my wife and I actually went to a. Speaking of hellscapes, my wife. My wife and I went to a. Wow, I hope she doesn't listen to this one, Dan. <laughs> she went. We went to a horrific, horrific, unpleasant strip club near the what is it? The Costco. What is, do you know what I'm talking about, Stuart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, like the one over in in Sunset Park. Yeah. Oh, this is in in New York. It's like, uh, yeah. Um, just, just the seediest place you could imagine. And then, uh, and this you, was your anniversary gift. Yes. Yeah. That was, that was what it was. No, uh, it was just a regular Sunday night. Um, but then years later on the television show, Louie, if you've seen the episode where Robin Williams and, and, uh, Louis CK are the only two people at this agent's funeral, and they, they go to a strip club where he was apparently beloved. That was the strip club, this very seedy place. And it's like, yep, you found the perfect place for this horrible guy to yeah. have been a beloved uh, regular. I had a Louis experience like that because there's one epi- an episode where he meets Parker Posey and they mm-hmm. go on a date. And he meets her at a bookstore where the exterior, part of it, they shot it to make it look like it was in Manhattan. But the interior and the immediate exterior are very clearly community books, also in Park Slope on uh, 7th Avenue, which I've been in many, many times. So it was like, I know that bookstore. I, I've never seen Parker Posey working there. This, wait a minute, hold on a this second. Bullshit. This TV show is lying to me. Stuart, what about you? Uh, I have never been into community books. I don't read a lot of books. <laughs> no, I mean, anywhere. <laughs> More of a calendar guy. Yeah. <laughs> like hot babes on Ferraris. Yeah, hot about. babes on Ferraris. If it's a hot babe with, puppies, a, with a gun life size, or on a, on a car hood. <laughs> life size. <laughs> yeah, when they're so small, they can fit on the calendar page. There's a. Uh, uh, one of our coworkers has a an animals calendar, and there's one where it's a horse eating hay, but the hay is like falling out of its mouth, so it looks like it's just th- this big glossy picture of a horse vomiting all over the place. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Um, so this cue up another letter for this us. This letter is titled "Bork Bork Bork." Robert Bork. Okay, uh, oh, a delicious mixture of beef and pork. You can buy it at Fleischer's <laughs> Deli in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Well, Not so many Park Slope plugs. <laughs> I know. Uh, the letter we goes. We beg the question by Bob Figerman. Plenty of Park Slope pictures. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That one episode, one issue of Local. <laughs> this is not. This is not the jabber back and forth. This is the part where we talk about letters. Okay. Uh, the letter goes, dear Flupahausa, you guys are a super duper. Barrels ear a head full of laughter. Okay, can you I just put read it? You can you just read in it my like, ear holes? Can you just read it like a normal person, please? Yeah, I, I know it's. What I, it fucking says. I see that it is spelled that way. <laughs> Lit it has a big brain full of mafia knowledge. Boot a teeny teeny musa flusa. I don't know what that means. Stuart probably boinks all the chicks at the bikini car wash. The pert goy. Bork, bork, bork. Don is pleasant. That's it. <laughs> Um, the hurdy hurdy hur. 
in feet of me over some time and to watch a movie. Yeah. So is this like a Swedish chef or is this an Italian character? I will <laughs> prepare you guys a meal. <laughs> Maybe a floop house, a house cat, a jamboree. <laughs> Sincerely, SC. So that's from SC. So that's your uh, that's your Swedish chef, huh? <laughs> no, that's this guy's Swedish chef. <laughs> that he wrote out phonetically. Well, thanks for writing in and for the compliments. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm I'm sorry if I seemed uh, if I if I lost the if thread it, there in seemed, the middle. If it seemed like Dan was having a stroke while reading that letter, <laughs> but I always did wonder what if the Swedish chef was doing a Borat impression, and I guess that's what it would be. Look, uh, I, I just, think it's interesting <laughs> that of the Muppets we hear from the Swedish chef and not Statler and Waldorf. It yeah. seemed to be kindred spirits. In you a sense. think they would heckle our heckling or appreciate fellow hecklers? Yeah, you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, we never hear from uh, New Zealand. <laughs> So this last letter, I think, that we have time for this evening is from Mark Last Name Withheld. Uh, it's titled, Boy? <laughs> oh, so it's a phantasm thing. It says, J- <laughs> It's either a phantasm or some girl's boobs fell out of her dress. <laughs> uh, he goes, Gentle flops. You guys have made passing reference to the classic 1978 horror flick, Phantasm, a bunch. I think most recently in the Paperboy episode, possibly later since and this Possibly thing. later. You never know. Uh, please spend You play ten- a good game, Paperboy. <laughs> please spend 10 to 15 minutes elaborating on this. Did anyone Wait, like... Wait, is this a test prompt? <laughs> Did anyone like parts three or four? Yep, of course. What about yes. that time a mutant... Phantasm Oblivion? <laughs> what about that time a mutant version of Angus Scrim came out of a hole in the size and shape of a double pizza box in that girl's back? Fucked up, right? In yeah, short... Awesome. More phantasm, boy. You write a good letter, boy, but now you die. <laughs> What's that author's name? Uh, Mark, last name with him. Mark, thanks for writing in. Yep. Stuart, you're the biggest phantasm fan, I feel. I am mm-hmm. uh, what they call a fan in the biz. <laughs> That's spelled with a PH. <laughs> of course, uh, yeah. Uh, I was really happy to get to meet Don Cascarelli, director of Phantasm, and get an autograph on my phantasm Don. poster. Yeah, the late lamented. 92 I said Tribeca. Don Cascarelli, right? Or did I say Dan Cascarelli? It just it sounded like Dan. I when think you were they, saying Don. Don Cascarelli. Stuart and I had a... Dan, were you with us when we went to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was there, man. We, all, we saw the double feature of John Dies at the End and the original Phantasm. And I got to uh, stand nervously in line behind a couple of horror geeks getting Japanese VHS tapes <laughs> autographed. It by. was adorable to see how nervous Stuart was. I was so excited. In, in getting the chance to talk to Don Cascarelli. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, they're yeah. great movies. There's, what do you have to say about the sequels? Uh, yeah, I like all of them. It's uh, it's interesting because the second one still was filmed so long after the first, but it picks right up after the first one, and with Except a different, different guy, actor. with a different actor. Yeah, and apparently, what is it? The uh, I think there there was a rumor that originally Brad Pitt was up for that role to play Mike, uh, but he got passed on. And uh, oh, he passed how, on. I'm so how, sorry. <laughs> how different? How different would the world be? If, <laughs> <laughs> Megastar Brad Pitt had Phantasm 2. Well, his, more people would be aware mind. of it, I guess. Sure. But Brad Pitt was also in, uh, what, Johnny Swade? And nobody watches that anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. In uh, Cool I think, World. I think Flophouse friend Alex Smith watches Johnny Swade okay. quite a bit. Well, nobody watches Cool World, even though Brad Pitt's in it. Except I think I recommended that for on yeah. the podcast. Cool a while World? Ago. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible movie. <laughs> I'm just trying to get you uh, to say the title many more times. <laughs> cool World. Hollywood, if Holly could. Yeah. Cool World, the end. Uh, one thing I'm going to mention that I like about Phantasm is that the sequels carry the story forward in terms of the spreading evil of the of the main villain a lot of horror movies and franchises they reset at the end the beginning of the next movie and it's like everybody just forgot that there was a fucking maniac running around killing kids in the last movie yeah but in phantasm this evil force is just emanating throughout the throughout the country at a yeah. greater and greater Almost rate. Almost like an apocalyptic rate. Well, they yes. put the, they, they're, they're pushing that premise too and it gets into like this weird science fiction area <laughs> where you're like Okay, well, the fourth one is basically like a Star Wars movie, sort of. (laughs) I mean, the first one already involves other planets with Jawas running around on (laughs) them. (laughs) And tuning forks, Dan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So many tuning forks. (laughs) And different different levels of spheres. Yep. So we've lost all the non-Phantasm fans (laughs) listening. So thanks, Mark, for ruining our our listenership. Um, Should we move on, Dan? Let's move on to the final uh, Judgments. Okay, Stuart, was this a good good episode? We circle back around. We're going to have to do that whole thing again, word for word. After Earth. (laughs) Um, So this is the last segment. It's where we make a recommendation of a movie that we liked uh, for people to watch instead of After Earth. 
Stuart, what do you have to recommend? I'm going to recommend a classic Stuart Wellington <laughs> flop house movie. So get ready for something so, gross. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm going to recommend the movie Bad Milo, currently streaming on video on demand from Time Warner Cable. <laughs> Uh, starring in Bad Milo, starring Ken Marino. It features, uh, it's about a guy who has an ass demon that is mm-hmm. triggered by stress that goes out and murders uh, the targets or the yeah. causers of his stress. Uh, there's a lot of poop slash fart jokes. There's jokes about a demon crawling back up into his butt, and you get to see those. Uh, there's a lot of scenes of that. Um, <laughs> there's also a scene it's where a this monster. Uh, this monster bites a dude's dick off. So, okay. yep, I think that ful- fulfills all the criteria of a Stewart movie. Um, yeah. All right. Some good character actors. Sure. Thanks. Okay, um, Dan? I'm going to recommend a movie that I saw. Called Bad Milo. In the theater <laughs> uh, a couple weeks back by the name of Blue is the Warmest Color. Oh, boy. We all know how I Dan enjoyed this one. Uh, look, I decided to <laughs> lean into the Purposoid label. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but it's I'm, gonna, it. I'm recommending a movie I really enjoyed. I think you will too. It's called Baby Dolls Behind Bars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, everyone. It's soft core. <laughs> you can find but it it's on a hard, Cinemax on demand. But it's a hard soft core. <laughs> anyway, Dan, continue. Blue um, is the warmest color. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, it's very. It's people have talked a lot about the sexual content. There is a, a lot of sexual content in the sense that there's a seven minute long sex scene that is fully just like seven minutes of sex, and it's 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 done. Fairly explicitly, but like this is a three-hour movie, so like, so really, it's like a one-second sex. No, scene. no, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I'm saying that people have focused on this, but it's it's out of proportion with like the full content of what the movie is, which is about uh, this woman's first love and um, the uh, the building of a first love and sort of the realization of who she is, and then. Unfortunately, the falling apart of that, which uh, I, I enjoyed the second half of the movie a little less, just because it's a little more emotionally difficult. It's 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 sad to and see less sex that ball, and there is less sex, so <laughs> there's that too. Um, but I I thought it was great. I, I so you would recommend watching the first half and then watching it again? Mm-hmm. Well, sitting down to it, you know, I was like, um, I like uh, a lot of. Art. <laughs> Where is this going to go? <laughs> no, I like a lot of art films. I like a lot of foreign films. Do I want to watch a three hour? Uh, French movie, and then once it started, like I was tran- like I, I was engaged and transported the whole time. So okay. it's, a, it's a very good movie. Uh, I don't. It's lo- a fast three hours. I don't. It's like the Godfather of lesbian love films. Yeah. I don't love the very end for reasons that maybe I can get into on the the Facebook page. Don't spoil it. So there's no spoilers, but that would be my only criticism. Was so, it all a dream? Yeah. <laughs> It was an autistic boy's dream. uh, It was all a dream, turns and sees a woman in her bed. Or was it? Mm -hmm. Or were they all characters inside of John Cusack's mind? Yeah. (laughs) Or did the two characters have a face-off and shoot missile launchers at each other and explode the world? (laughs) They're inside of Pruitt Taylor fans. Anyway, go on, Elliot. A what? He's correcting me not understanding that John Cusack <laughs> isn't the star of Identity. <laughs> isn't, he's, he's the star. He's, he's not the, the star. He's not, he's, the, it's not his he's head not that the all the, brain ca- that, uh, the characters wait, are running around in. But shouldn't the characters be running around no. the head of the star of the movie? No, because the, the That's char- the twist. <laughs> You'd expect that. <laughs> but no. I'm going to recommend a noir movie from 1953 mm-hmm. called 99 River Street. And... I'm not. I don't know why that That's was a real fucking spectrum of movies tonight, guys. Yeah, I'm not going to say that it's like the most amazing movie because I want to. I really liked it a lot, and I thought it was really good. But there's, I think, a problem when you say like I've found this little known gem, and then people see it and they don't. They're like, that wasn't so amazing. Look, it's not going to blow your mind, yeah. but it's maybe one of the grimmest noirs that I've seen in a long time, and I'm kind of surprised I haven't heard about it for that reason. It's directed by. Uh, uh, sorry, I looked it up. Phil Carlson, who also directed Kansas Phil City. Phil Collins. No, yeah, Phil Collins. <laughs> uh, some of his off time from Genesis. Okay. Uh, Phil Carlson, who directed Kansas City Confidential, which is another one of those noir movies, and stars John Payne as a former boxer who lost the big fight and is now a cab driver stuck with a shrewish wife who thought she was marrying the future heavyweight champion of the world, but now is only married to a cab driver. John Payne would be a good uh, partner for Cypher Rage. <laughs> it is, except this is a real person's name. Uh, he ha- is friends with an actress, and he his finds out that his wife is cheating on him with a kind of small-time diamond crook who is not averse to killing women, who know a little too much about his diamond thieving. And long story short, 
the taxi driver gets a murder pinned on him and has to find the guy who did it before the police find him. So it's a pretty classic kind of wrong man noir story, but it is so dark, so grim. And there's one scene where a character confesses a murder to another one that's so overwrought that it becomes like frighteningly grotesque in a way. Uh, and the characters are so kind of mean and slimy in a way that even noir movies in the 50s usually held back from. Uh, so it just feels like grim in a way that they usually don't, in a way I liked a lot. It's shot really neat all at night, and the ending is so ridiculously upbeat and such a crazy change in tone that it almost feels sarcastic. Mm -hmm. Like they had to put a, a happy ending on this movie because it's a studio movie, but they went so far over the top that it's almost like the movie is daring you to reject that ending because the philosophy of the film up to that point has been so like brutally uh, what was the movie? dark. You showed a movie like that at your closely watched films. Was that the end of the old dark house? What was that? Uh, Ministry of Fear. Ministry of Fear. That Ministry was of Fear is a really good movie where uh, who? Why am I? Ray Milland is on the run and he's not sure why. Nazis are chasing him in England in the forties and he's not sure why. And it's like this nightmare. This man is being chased and doesn't understand what's going on and people are turning up dead when he goes to them for help. And it ends with this ridiculous joke about cake. <laughs> and it's just like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and all they have and to do is... a zippy, like, musical sting. Like, and then ba -da, ba -da, ba -da, ba -da. It's the same with Raymond in The Uninvited, where <laughs> he has just exercised the murderous ghost of his girlfriend from, from the house. And it's really, like, tense. And then she goes, that was close. And he turns to, her and <laughs> to the woman and goes... You think that was close for you? That was almost my mother-in-law. The end. <laughs> like, for some reason, these movies had to end either on upbeat endings or jokes. But uh, 99 River Street, it's uh, a real tense little noir movie. Uh, do I want to say a little known gem? Yeah, sure I do. Uh, and I hope you enjoy it. So if somebody were to watch all three of these movies in one sitting, <laughs> what, order would explode. They, what order would explode? I think maybe do warm, Blue's Warmest Color last. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'd say do 99 River Street. Then blue is the warmest cover, color, and then end it with some yeah, bad Milo. Cap it, <laughs> it off with a butt demon to kind of wash out the taste of ruined romance and murder. Yeah. Uh, well, guys, I know you guys have a metal show to go to. Yeah, Ellie so and I are going to go see some uh, squealing guitar. Masters of Thrash, 2013. Uh, so uh, I don't think there's anything else to say. For the flop but there's so much to say, Dan. Dan, Dan, I love you. <laughs> Dan, I've been I, holding I, you back all this time. Well, I got to side off quick. For the flop house, <laughs> Dan, no, Dan we remember each other. I've been Dan McCoy. Dan, Dan is the warmest color. Oh, I was just going to keep waiting let you keep uh -huh. pestering him for a while. Um, I'm Stuart Wellington. <laughs> and I'm Elliot Kalen. Good night, everyone. Was, that was a flop house. Good night, Dan, Dynamo. Dan, Dan, no. <laughs> My favorite movie featuring Buster Poindexter. <laughs> more than Car 54, were you? <laughs> okay, you guys are both right. I like this more. <laughs> or where's the one where he gets killed by a cat in the mouth? <laughs> Tales from the Dark Side of the movie. It's where he's, he's Captain he, Cat in the Mouth. He gets Cat in the Mouth. <laughs> That's a superhero who kills crooks by shoving cats in their mouths. Like a submarine yeah. sandwich situation. Exactly. A submarine cat witch. Okay. Submarine like. cat witch Everdeen. <laughs> What a powerful tribute <laughs> yeah. to Subway sandwiches. Okay.